I'm Shachar Razani, and in the news, Israel at war. Following Hamas's barbaric attack against Israel on that horrendous day of October 7th, Israel has been engaged in the past couple of months in an atrocious battle against these forces of evil in the Gaza Strip. This battle has taken too much a toll already on IDF soldiers' lives as they go from one apartment to another trying to dismantle Hamas's infrastructure in the Gaza Strip. Infrastructure that this vile terrorist organization has accumulated in the past 18 years since the experiment which handed over sovereignty for Palestinians over Gaza, which ended in the horrendous slaughter of innocent people, men, women, children, babies in Israel on October 7th. Looking into the battle that Israel is waging in the Gaza Strip, we have a very special guest with us today. Shahar is a Special Forces paratrooper in the IDF Reserve who has served within the Gaza Strip and actually is with us in studio today, only a few days after he left Gaza. And we're so happy to have him with us. Shahar, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. My you know, pleasure. We're happy to have you here. Uh, it gives us a rare opportunity to share with our viewers and with the world the real story about what's happening on the ground. And we've seen last week the horrendous incident in which three hostages were shot by IDF soldiers. And I want to ask you first on a personal level, Shahar, how did that make you feel? It broke my heart. It was a heartbreaking moment before Shabbat. You know, we saw the news, we heard about it, and it could have been the best weekend since the beginning of the war, but right. instead it was probably one of the hardest ones because they were so close to being released after 70 days under these horrific terrorists, and uh, it ended up in the most tragic way. You know, you're there fighting in Gaza with your, with your friends to the unit. Um, what is it like? Um, can you describe that for us? Give us a, an idea of what is it that you're actually going through when you're in Gaza? You know, I was there in 2014 as well. Right, protective edge. When I left, the last place on earth I wanted to go back to is Gaza. But when this started, when the image was clear after what happened on October 7th, we knew there was no other chance. There was no, no other option. We need to get the hostages back and we need to go back and, and destroy Hamas. There is no other option. We can't go back to living next to a neighbor that keeps saying that they'll do October 7 again and again and again, and we learn that we have to believe them. So being in there is, is first a big honor. You know, I'm a grandson of Holocaust survivors. My dad fought in the Yom Kippur War. It felt like this is our generation's turn to ensure the future of the Jewish people in the state of Israel. It's also very, very scary. Gaza is one of the most complicated places in the world, in the world to fight Talk in. Talk about urban warfare. If not the most complicated one. Right. They've also prepared for years for us to get in. When they initiated October 7th, they knew we'll get in. They knew that. So you have 300 miles plus uh, of tunnels, terror tunnels. Thousands, 300 miles, you said? Thousands of entrances, and we saw dozens of those. Some under bushes, but some in hospitals and schools and mosques. I can tell you personal stories of what happened in some of these, but also thousands of houses and buildings are pre-armed with bombs and mines just waiting for us to make the wrong, uh, to take the step and just be blown to pieces. They also try to lure us in because they have so many hostages of ours. They have dolls with speakers of Hebrew voices calling us to lure us in. 
and make the wrong step and just blow us to pieces. So it's very, very scary. You don't know what second a terrorist is going to come out of a tunnel and shoot you in the back or get you with an RPG or get from a window uh, with a sniper to just shoot you or with mortars. You know, I, I left Gaza four days ago. And one of those days in southern Gaza, we had a few mortars coming towards us with, from a residential neighborhood with lots of civilians. One of these mortars uh, had hit two people in my team. They were taken to the ER um, with the chopper. And a few hours later, we heard that one of them didn't even make it to the hospital. You can't really run away from this. You know, we're there because the IDF has the, the higher morality to right, not because, harm because civilians. when I'm thinking about this, the, there is a moral choice here to risk the lives of IDF soldiers or to quote unquote carpet bomb entire neighborhoods. And the choice yeah. that's being made every day is for you and your friends to go in and risk your lives by making those, you know, room to room searches and battles. Yeah, you know, when, when our friends died, when they saw these mortars, we didn't even shoot back. We knew where the terrorists were, but they were surrounded by so many civilians, human shield, we didn't even shoot back. And if we didn't care about civilian casualties on the other side, first, there'll be no civilians on the other side. But second, there'll be no casualties on our side. Soldiers go in and risk their lives and die because we care about the civilian population on the other side. And yeah, I've lost friends because of it. But we have the higher morality to not destroy, to not kill 200 million, 2 million people. We're not going to do that. We need to destroy Hamas. We're not fighting the Palestinian people. We're fighting Hamas. And if we win, or when we win, when we defeat them, right. when we remove this threat of Hamas, two, two groups of people will benefit. First, the Israelis. Our streets will be safer. People will be safer in Israel. But second are the Palestinians. The streets in Gaza will be safer. They will get a true chance to live in peace and not under a terrorist regime, to rebuild their life not under an, an occupation of Gaza, not by us, but by Hamas, that basically takes everything they own, steals their dreams, their hopes, all the aid that they get, and instead of building the Singapore of the Middle East, they build the largest terror infrastructure of the Middle East, and it's all by Hamas. They're the real occupiers of Gaza, of the Palestinians, and we met civilians in Gaza. The smiles that they had when they saw us was something that just broke my heart. They see the enemy's military force and smile because they know that we're going to protect them from Hamas. What, what did, they, did they tell you anything? Did you engage yeah. with them directly? No, every force has this Arabic speaker, so we know what they every said. Every force has an Arabic speaker embedded. Yeah, we need to know what they're talking. We see lots of civilians. So a family that we found came down to us. They should not have been there. It's an evacuated area. They came to us and said we couldn't run away because our neighbors tried to run away and they were killed by Hamas. They were killed by Hamas, their neighbors. running away. They needed their as, as human shield. So we walked them to the humanitarian corridor, protecting them. And before they left, they basically hugged us. They gave them food and water and medicine and said, please finish the job. Please destroy Hamas so we can have our lives back, so that's we can what, have a that's future. That's what you're hearing on the ground. Yeah, this is what the Palestinian people who are not a part of the terrorist organization believe. Although they have a jihadist education system that keeps growing up new generations of terrorists, but right. not everyone is, and those that aren't, they don't want Hamas. They are their enemies. Hamas is the enemy of the Palestinian people, the enemy of the Western civilization. And we, Israel, are the only ones who are going to defeat them and remove this threat and bring the safety back to our streets, but also to theirs. You know, there, the, there are a lot of accusations, words like genocide, um, like the IDF behaving immorally, risking innocent civilians. How do you feel as somebody who's on the ground now, who's going to put on his uniform and helmet and gun and is going to go and fight these evil, evil monstrosities that are Hamas? How do you feel when you hear those accusations, Shahar? 
you know, first, I'm trying to think of October 7th, and I saw, I saw what happened. I wasn't there on October 7th. You were there. I can't unsee the things that I saw. I can't unsmell the smell of death. But when we went into Gaza, we didn't go in to get revenge. We didn't go in to rape their women and behead their kids and burn them alive. We went in with two goals in our minds, defeat Hamas, destroy them, and bring the hostages back. Although what happened on October 7th, we kept the higher morality. The IDF has very strict rules of engagement, very strict um, code of conduct and values, and we follow them. Before every mission, we talk about the civilian population, what we can or cannot do. We abort many missions because of the civilian population. We share maps with, with them of fighting zones and safe zones so they can know where to go before we even shoot. But that, that compromises the, the warfare, doesn't it? When yeah. you provide these maps and showing them where the IDF is going to operate, where you're going to be, you're also telling Hamas where to go, because correct me if I'm wrong, are you fighting against a uniformed enemy? They have uniform. You saw it on October 7th. Right, for sure. We've seen it, seen it for videos. sure with the hostages, right. But they don't fight us with uniform right. for two reasons. One of them, so when we do kill them, they're not, they're not going to be counted as terrorists, they'll be counted as civilians for this count of Hamas-ruled uh, Minister of Health. Exactly. Most right. of the casualties love, are my terrorists. My favorite is the Bureau of Statistics. Exactly. Right. And the second one is so they can hide and blend uh, between and within civilian population. We had, my friend's unit had 200 civilians going towards them. Towards them? Mostly women and kids. Out of these 200, two terrorists rose and fired an RPG, killing two soldiers. The others didn't even shoot back. They couldn't. The terrorists were right there among 200 people. So they don't fight with uniform. They don't fight, you know, face to face. They're cowards who are They're hiding cowards. underground cowards, and just waiting to get out of a tunnel right. and just shoot us in the back. They know that we are a military that, you know, values life. We're going to get our people back and we're going to get them and not their, you know, human shield that hopefully will survive and can rebuild their lives. But the higher morality here is also to make sure that we do it in the right way because if we didn't care about them, as, as you said, most of the soldiers that have died were still alive right now, and it's heartbreaking. heartbreaking. But we are a military force of a democratic state, and we have to work within the, the IDF code of conduct, and this is what we're doing. And yeah, when we share those maps, when we watch the humanitarian corridor, we know that there are terrorists there as well. But this is the way we're fighting. Could we have won it before? 100%. The prices would have been very high, and this is something that Israel and the leadership chose not to pay. I hope in the long term it's going to be worth it. We are. I, I, I got to ask you, you know, we keep on hearing about Hamas um, firing rockets into Israel, including and now especially from the southern part of the Gaza Strip, Al-Mawasi area, where most of the refugees are, most of the population is, some UN facilities. And from among those facilities, they fire into Israel. What can we do? What do you do on the ground when this is where they embed themselves, like you're saying, firing rockets from there, hiding among civilians, wearing civilian outfit because they only put the green ribbon when it's ceremonially exactly. appropriate, when, they, when they're attacking 80-year-old Holocaust survivors, those brave, brave pieces of filth. But I want to ask you, how do you as, an, as a soldier, as an army, how do you cope with such a scenario? It's very it's, difficult. It's very complicated. It's like fighting with your hands tied behind your right. back. Because and we're your not, eyes blindfolded. Yeah, we're not going to fire the, the safe zone, but the terrorists know that they know that, so they go there to launch their missiles. You know, we have all, the whole world watching us. And even though they do, we have to keep them more ground. 
we are being, you know, there's double standard how Israel should fight and how any other military force should fight. Right. And we're the only ones who has a clock next to our faces saying right. you have to finish in, in X amount of days. Right. No one had the clock to America when they went to get Bin Laden and, and Afghanistan after 9-11. Or But unlike that, Hamas is on our border. Literally, a few yards from the border, there are Israeli kibbutzim, small towns that are there. And, you know, we have no other choice. No other choice. But within these boundaries, we're still going to win. But as a soldier, yeah, it's very complicated. And some of us die because of this. But what can we do? They are filth. They don't even deserve to be called humans because I they agree. are willing to sacrifice every one of the Gazans just to kill more of us. And they right. say that. Don't even listen to me. Right. Listen to them. This is what they say. There are pawns in their games. And when you grow up in a radical jihadist education system that teaches you that the highest morality, the biggest honor of your life would be to become a shaheed, a martyr, and kill Jews, the enemies of Islam, by the way, after Jews is the Christians. This is what you will do because right. you'll be a hero. The heroes you grow up idolizing are the biggest terrorists. Your family will be taken care of. Pay for slay. Instead of going to a summer camp like we did when we grew up, they go to a Hamas summer right. camp it's, and learn how to shoot. It's the epitome of the difference stab. between a death cult and a society that cherishes exactly. life. Exactly. Hamas has on many of their flags a saying, we love death as much as, much as Jews love life. That's, yeah, what, love, that's what they have on their flags? Yeah, you can read that. We do love life. And this we is do. one of the reasons we're going to win. We're going to be the first line of defense of the Western civilization and make this world a better place, not just Israel. But the world needs to understand that. We're not fighting the Palestinian people, we're fighting Hamas, which is worse than ISIS, Al-Qaeda, and Hezbollah. They've been you know, eternalizing the victimhood of the Palestinian people, calling themselves as the saviors of the Palestinians, when in fact, they are the worst thing that ever happened to the Palestinian people and maybe to this world. But we're still going to keep the high, the high ground, the morality. We're still going to win. As Golda Meir, the Prime Minister from Yom Kippur War said, we have a secret weapon. We have no place else to go. Right. And when we go in there, when we're willing to risk our lives and sacrifice our lives, we do it proudly, knowing that we're protecting the state of Israel just like our parents and grandparents and ancestors. But we also know that we're protecting everyone who values life across this earth. We don't just feel like the Israeli Defense Forces, we feel like the Jewish Defense Forces, but also, as I said, the first line of defense of Western civilization, although many of them here in America and college campuses don't even realize that yet, but they're coming for you too, and they need to start waking up and understand we are fighting the same fight against this radical Islam, this I jihadist ideology that is coming for all of us. They're looking to build the great Islamic state on the rebels of the Western civilization. Right. If we don't wake up, it's gonna be too late. Right. I keep on thinking, Shahar, you're going into Gaza, you're going out of Gaza, it takes a lot of courage, determination, um, significant sense of morality. Where do you find that courage? You know, some people call us heroes or call me. I don't feel like a hero. You know, I'm, yes, I, you finish, hero. I finished my active duty 10 years ago. I've been on reserves ever since. On right. October 7th, in the morning when they called me, it feels like time has stopped. You know, I should have gotten married on October 27th. Wow. We postponed it. We lost a very good friend. We lost another one when a few days ago. When were you supposed to date? October 27th. October 27th. And when I left for the war, when I gave my fiance this big hug that you know could have easily been the last one, she asked me if, if we should have postponed it. And I said, no, it's going to end in a week. Well, it didn't. And on October 27th, instead of getting married, I was, I was there. When I, what, tell what do you tell me when you got in on October 7th, you said um, you got the call in the morning. 
When did you actually get to the combat zone in the south? In the evening of October 7th, and evening. we saw the atrocities. There were still bodies on the ground and in cars and bullet holes and blood everywhere and bullet shells and terrorists were still there and still coming in. And, you know, as I told you, things that we just can't unsee. But you asked about the carriage that we find. Right. I don't know if it's carriage. It's very, very scary. Every time before I go in, I make these phone calls to my siblings, my parents, my fiance. I remember the, the phone call to my mom on October 7th. She's not just such an emotional person, neither am I. But hearing her voice telling me, protect both our hearts, or I'm not gonna be able to live with myself if something happens to you, it just, it broke my heart. I, I was choking, I couldn't really speak. I had tears in my, in my throat. Writing this goodbye letter, in case something happens, to tell your loved ones how much you love them, asking them to keep living. To write a will at 30 years old to make sure that my fiance, who should have been my wife, we get to write a will at 30. the rights of, a, of an IDF widower in case something happens to me. This is what I was thinking every time I went in. But I was also thinking of my grandparents who were Holocaust survivors and my dad who fought in Yom Kippur, as I said. And I was thinking this is what they would have done. And I'm thinking of all the 450 soldiers that we have lost so far and the over 1,200 civilians, we needed to make sure that they didn't die in vain, that October 7th will be the last time in history that these kind of things happen to us or to anyone. And we have to carry these atrocities, the horrible things that happen and still happening these days as a big scar on our bodies and make sure that this never happens again, that never again is now and always, and ensure the, the Jewish people's future in the state of Israel ensure that you know people like you and others who don't live in Israel can wear yarmulkes or light Hanukkah candles without looking over their shoulders wherever they are. I used to live in New York City and I wore this Israel-American pin on my suit. I wore it proudly every time. I spoke at an event last night. There was a mob of a thousand people outside. I, I, I want to ask you about that because you know you're part of the future generation, the younger generation. You're fighting an incredible fight now in Gaza. But you, you see all of these the pro-terror mobs who uh, shut down Grand Central or go and demonstrate in support of this vile filth of a terror organization like Hamas. What do you want to tell them? If you were able to speak before them, what would you tell them, Shahar? I think the problem is, is those mobs and, and extremists are just you know, the edge of it. They're the extremists. I don't think they represent the majority. But what do I want to tell them is that yeah. they've just been brain, brainwashed. You know, when I speak, I have three things with me. I have the truth, the facts, and the first-hand experience. They have neither. The truth, and the facts, the facts, and first-hand experience. And when you talk to them, and they keep yelling, and, and yelling these like brainwashed, just lies, and you keep dismantling each one of them, they choose what to believe. You know, there's one truth, but for them, the truth doesn't really matter. And some of them that are not these extremists, they've just been brainwashed and wanted something to relate to. They wanted to help the oppressed. They wanted to help the victims. They just don't understand they're supporting a vicious terror organization. If they really cared about the Palestinian people, they should have been in the other protests supporting Israel because we are the ones that are gonna be able to get the Palestinian people a true chance of living. Right, so, if you're truly pro-Palestinian, that would be a pro-Palestinian position, yes, right, and, and you know, deep in my heart, right. I would have loved to see them you know, in Gaza with Hamas experiencing what it means. It's not politically correct, but even those on college campuses, you know, Gen Z that sit on their lovely couches in America, criticizing our Gen Z, they are fighting an heroism fight, 
against the most horrible terrorists, I think they should experience what it feels like to have Hamas on your doorstep. Those that idolize Bin Laden right now, they need to feel like what it, they need to feel what it feels like to, to have those on your doorstep, looking to get into your home, rape your women, kill your kids, behead them and burn you all, all alive, because this is what they do. You know, it's, it's a question of could and would. If Hamas could get to all of us, would they kill all of us? They said, yes, let's believe them. If we could kill all of the Palestinians, would we? Well, we can't. We're not going to. This is the difference. We're going to kill the Hamas terrorists. They have no place on we the We can, but we're not going to. And yeah. if they could, they would. Because the point that you're making now, Shahar, is one of the most important points we all can make, is believe them when they tell you who they are. And that is who they are. And that's the kind of evil that you, Shahar, are facing right there on the front lines. What's the, what's the atmosphere like among you and your peers conducting this battle? Do you feel the support of the people of Israel behind you? Do you feel the support of the Jewish people and the peace and justice loving people around the world? Do you sense it? We, we feel it and we sense it more than ever. Like the support that we get from the people of Israel, the united people that just came together after October 7th the support we get from the world, from the Western civilization, the leaders who know the truth and the facts and support us and push us to continue and finish the job is amazing. Emotionally, we're broken. How can we not be after what happened to us? But physically and spiritually, we're stronger than ever. We should mourn the dead. We should mourn October 7th. But we should get, get together and stronger, finish the job, and then remember who the real enemies are and come back together stronger and ensure this never happens again. But I also wanted to say, you know, when, when we get out and look at social media a little bit and, right. and we remember that, you know, they are on the doorstep and when they keep, you know, celebrating October 7th and when their leaders say that they will do October 7th again and again and will never right. stop until they're done. And when they're done, which we won't let them, but if they could, they would have gone to, the, you know, to Europe and then to the U.S. They're right. already here. Which they said explicitly that yep. their goal is the, um, the heretic And West. I wanted to ask them, like, if you're in America right now, right. and if Hamas or Al-Qaeda or whatever was on your doorstep, if we're in New York City, the doorstep of New York City, telling them this is what they'll do, and they're waiting for the right opportunity to just do it, what would you expect your government to do? Just let them do it? To cease fire until they choose to do it? Because cease fire means that we have to cease our fire and just wait for them to regroup and do it again. Do you see it happening, Shahar? Ceasefire? Yeah, ceasefire. Like, they're calling out. It sounds so innocuous, yeah, it's, right? it's a great word, ceasefire. I'm just ceasefire. asking for a ceasefire. Do you see? Explain to our viewers, from your perspective, what does this demand mean? A ceasefire means that we're going to ceasefire. Hamas is going to regroup, and once they're ready, going to try and get, catch, off, catch us off guard and do it again. And maybe bigger this time. Maybe get to all of us. Maybe connect with Hezbollah in the, in the Lebanon border and do it you know, from the north as well. This is what they want. A ceasefire means the Hamas has won, the terrorism has won, and we won't let that. I also want a ceasefire. The second we're eliminating Hamas, we'll ceasefire, we'll get along with the world and the, the largest countries to help rebuild Gaza, but also change the leadership. Right. Don't support terrorism, change right. the education system, right. and maybe grow different generations that didn't grow up idolizing terrorists. Or reading Mein Kampf in Arabic. Exactly. Didn't grow up, you know, in a jihadist ideology. Maybe then, maybe they have a chance to live in peace. But 
in, instead of, you know, in case we want to do it and we do, for this to happen, we need to eliminate Hamas. They will not let it happen. They will steal the future and the hopes of the Palestinian people again. So when I asked you about the U.S. government, they will not let it happen. And you would expect them and force them to keep fighting until you eliminate this threat. And we have to do the same. The Jewish people has, have a right to exist. We have a right for self-determination. Right. Our lives are not worth less than others. It's a given. We shouldn't others. even say It's amazing that we, you know, that people acknowledge our right to exist. I love yeah. that. I acknowledge the right of France to exist. I yeah. mean, what does that even mean? Yeah, we're this tiny spot yeah. in the Middle East. Right. Our ancestors lived there. We're always willing to give land for peace. This is what we want, but we have a right to exist. Our lives are not worth less than other people. Raping a woman is just as horrible as raping other women. We don't need to prove that to people. Right. We don't need to have you know, different standards in other countries. How do you feel when that's denied? When these crimes are denied? When there are people out there who claim that there was no sexual assault against you know, innocent women? I think it's pure anti-Semitism. You know, I see people saying, let's finish Hitler's job. We are a minority. And, and you have seen minority. it with your own eyes. Yes, and I've heard it. And you know, it breaks my heart. I, I, every Holocaust Memorial Day, I went to my grandparents when they were still alive, telling me stories of, of the most horrible crimes in human history. And no one thought it's going to happen again. They promised me that they've done whatever they can to make, to build this country in the best way they could. And they always apologize for not doing enough. And I promise that we'll continue what they started. And I feel like now it's, it's more important than ever. And it just breaks my heart knowing that my grandparents my grandparents are looking from above, seeing what's going on in this world, seeing anti-Semitism rise to the highest level since the Holocaust itself. People are just proud of that. And it breaks our heart. Why are these people don't, you know, not doing it with, with their faces? Why are they covering their faces? Right. One in anti-Israel protests, you see people covering their faces, right. tear down US flags. Right. And in the pro-Israel protests, they're proudly like raising... They're proudly raising this U.S. flag and right. Israel flag. This right. is the difference. If you're so proud of being anti-Semite, if you're so proud of supporting Hamas, show your face. Show us who you are. Show humanity who you are, because you are trying to make this world a much more dangerous place, not just for Jews, but for anyone who values life and Western values. And the Western civilization need to come together and understand we have a common enemy, this jihadist ideology, radical Islam, not all of Islam, radical Islam that supports terrorism, starting from Iran through Hamas and Hezbollah and so many others, they are the enemies of the Western civilization. If we don't come together, they'll get to us. They're already here. You see it in the streets. Right. You know, Shahar, I'll tell you this. I'm sure that your grandparents are looking at you from above and are extremely proud. As all of us here, I'm sure JBS viewers and all those that you come in contact with, your idea, your ideals, your courage, your tenacity, your devotion are inspirational to us all. We salute you for all that you do and we wish you much success in that mission of eradicating evil and take care and take care of yourself. Stay safe out there. We want to see you here again and again and again, not just on JBS, but in New York. And we can't wait for that moment when you finally get married to your chosen one and get to celebrate truly, um, truthfully, and after achieving this incredible mission that is on your soldiers. I really thank you for taking the time of coming to see us here in New York today, and we wish you all the very best. We stand behind you, and please convey the same to all of your friends out there conducting the fight. We are all behind you and all over you and giving you an incredible hug of support from, from afar. 
Thank you. You know, if I, I'm going to go back to Gaza in a few days, and if I make it out alive, I hope to be back. When you make it out alive. When I make it out alive. You know, it's not a given in this place, oh, unfortunately. Yeah. I hope to be back here in a few weeks right. after we've made this world a better place and a safer Amen. place, both for us, also for Palestinians. And then I hope we can come here and help in the next war, which is educating the world That's that we also have a right to exist. In a, you're, you're an incredible force um, of change and difference. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you. What can I say? It's an incredible moment to share with an IDF soldier who's on the ground fighting the fight that we all know of, that we are all part of. And as much as we rally around the IDF forces and support, it's incumbent upon us here in the United States to provide our IDF soldiers with a diplomatic Iron Dome in sharing that message with the world and making sure that American administration, media, public, society understand exactly what, it's, what is at stake because what starts with the Jews and the Jewish state rarely or even ever will end with the Jews or the Jewish state. And to all of you, our viewers, I would like to say that we here at JBS will continue to keep you updated as things move forward in Israel. And it's always important to remember and remind, again, that it's not just about Israel and Hamas. The battle right now has great moral, strategic meaning for Israel and for the world entire. May we see better days soon. I'm Shahar Azani, and thank you all for watching.